0: I just found out that the age of the universe is not as old as we had thought. It's 12.9 billion years old instead of 13 plus, which I think just puts more pressure on the Browns to come up with an NFL championship and a Super Bowl before this thing all gets blown to smithereens. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Telich Talks. It's our podcast, and this week we're talking Cleveland Browns. We are coming to you the evening after the Browns had wrapped up their 2019 NFL draft. They made seven picks, as you are quite aware. And if you take into account what they did previous to the draft and want to factor in the OBJ signing and the trades for Olivier Olivier Vernon and all of the transactions that took place leading up to the draft, then you can by all accounts say they've had a very, very productive off-season so far as they get ready to bring the young players into camp and have a mini-camp within this next week or so in Berea. They had seven picks, and they did not do anything on the first night because they traded the OBJ pick to the Giants, the 17th choice overall. And their first choice is a great human interest story. And I want to talk a lot about this young man, Greedy Williams, Andres Williams from Shreveport, Louisiana. He comes from an area in that city. And I want to give a great shout out to a reporter, Ross Dellinger, who wrote a piece about Greedy Williams that uh, was published a while back but it kind of set the tone for the family environment that he lived in as a youngster and what he has been able to overcome in terms of living conditions and also the great optimism that he seems to have within him to be a successful football player. But Ross wrote a tremendous story about Greedy, how he came out of the Allendale projects and among the most uh, poor Uh, parts of any city in America, in Shreveport, Louisiana, how there were shootouts on the corners and fistfights. And it was pretty much every kid or every man for himself, a very, very tough environment for greedy to grow up in. And he was uh, one of four kids that were born to his mother, uh, LaKeisha. LaKeisha had four children. She, her first one at age 15, and uh, he was the, I believe, the fourth of the three of the four kids. And uh, he was born when she was about 20 years of age. And me, pretty much in the circumstances from which he was growing up in, football was one of the great ways in order for him to kind of find his way out of a very difficult situation. His mother dealt with cancer. His mother was making very little money, about $180 a month, according to this article, and getting food stamps and doing everything possible to make do in dealing with a life-altering and changing circumstance, what cancer can be for any family. And uh, somehow this gritty gal, this lady was able To uh, work her way through the system, and to also uh, find hope and find inspiration in the youngsters that she was raising, she's truly has to be a remarkable woman. She dated a man by the name of Lonnie Bryant, who became, you know, the stepfather to Greedy, and uh, Greedy was worked into the football program that was down there. In Shreveport Louisiana started to play youth football along with his siblings and found a way to showcase his talents and to one day make his way out of that the dilapidated housing that they lived in and those tough circumstances and to eventually get to the burbs as it were and then to be hooked up by not just playing in a youth program down there in Shreveport but then to get connected with a very good high school football program called Calvary Baptist. And within the span of his time that Greedy was playing down there in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, he and uh, his teammates were able to win two state championships back in 2013 and 2014 and they were very good at playing in the defensive backfield. He had the skills to play as a as an offensive player and obviously could be a ball hawk on the defensive end. And that's what he showed, obviously, at uh, Louisiana State University during his last two seasons as uh, an All-American. But down there in Shreveport, Louisiana, when he played for, as they say, playing for the 3-1-8, that's, of course, the, the area code down there. And... By playing for a Calvary Baptist, they had a term for the kids that played in the defensive backfield, and and that was the no-fly zone. And he was on the same youth team as Devin White, and he has just a tremendous story. And I, I just wanted to not just talk about what Greedy Williams is able to do and will be able to do on the professional level with the Cleveland Browns. I mean, I think we can say that he and Denzel Ward could be the cornerstone corners for the Browns as they move forward in their resurgence of football in Northeast Ohio. I think it goes without saying. You could have Denzel on one side and you could have Greedy on the other. The name Greedy apparently came from when he was a tiny tot, and he just went through the baby formula a little bit more than the other kids, and his grandmother stuck uh, gave him that nickname of uh, Greedy Good, Greedy Goody, and uh, it stuck, and so hence the name Greedy. But with he and Denzel Ward being able to be the cornerstones of the corners for the Browns' young defensive backfield, it kind of can harken back to a boisterous guy by the name of Frank Minifield and another boisterous fellow by the name of Hanford Dixon. And those guys were, you know, top dog and mighty mini. And they were the guys that pretty much got the dog pound, if you will, up and running in the early 80s back in those teams with Marty Schottenheimer. And so Denzel and Greedy. These are the kids that can be uh, the young players that players from years to come will look back and say, ah, I remember when the Browns resurgence began. They had Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. They had outstanding young defensive players like Olivier Vernon, who they brought in, and they had those two cornerbacks in Greedy and Denzel. Denzel is obviously a little bit more soft-spoken, but Greedy, as you heard in his news conference when uh, he was uh, talking to the Cleveland media, he predicted that the Browns would be playing in the Super Bowl this coming year. So he does not lack for any kind of confidence. But I think it's just a great story. And I think in, there's instances when you look back at how a team has kind of turned things around and there are characters and individuals that perhaps can be the cornerstones of those turn turnarounds. You could point towards the Browns getting OBJ. You could point towards getting Jarvis Landry a year ago, which was a big, big deal, one of the first big deals that John Dorsey pulled off. And then you can say that having the guts to take Baker Mayfield number one and then sticking to your guns and taking Denzel Ward at number four overall with the proviso that if you have better coverage in the back end of your defense, that will help the people up front. And so now you have a youngster in Greedy Williams who has tremendous cover skills and who, like Denzel Ward, can perhaps lock down their guys on the outside. That will help the Browns defense quite a bit. So that's a great stepping stone, having a young player like Greedy Williams. But the fact that Greedy came from the circumstances that he did in Shreveport, Louisiana, in the Allendale projects, where there's are some of the toughest areas in all of America for a kid to emerge from, the fact that he's made it out of there, got to LSU, and became an All-American, a third-team All-American his Uh, his second year there and then a first-team All-American this past season says a lot about Greedy Williams, the kid. So let's see what he can do along with Denzel Ward and company. And also, of course, the Browns did take seven picks. They made that one deal when they moved up in order to get the pick at 46 to get Greedy. And then Uh, They were able to pick up uh, Sione Takitaki. He's that linebacker from BYU. They say he's a huge thumper, so he will be one of the young guys as they kind of overhaul this defensive uh, linebacker core, already getting guys that they believe can make some plays and really test. Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey, who have been there for some time. I think a real exciting young player to watch will be uh, Sheldrick Redwine from Miami. And this also underscores the fact that the Browns have gone pretty hardcore in getting guys from the U. And a lot of that has to go with Alonzo Highsmith, who starred down there and, of course, played in the league and is now one of the executives with the Browns and has been tasked with he along with Elliot Wolf being kind of like the top lieutenants for John Dorsey, and I think you have a scenario here where they are putting their trust in a playmaking young defensive player like Sheldrick Redwine. He was the 119th pick overall, so we see we'll see what he can do. Joining all those other canes that played uh, for uh, that are now playing with the Cleveland Browns, such as David Najoku and. Duke Johnson and so on and so forth, but without a doubt, Alonzo Highsmith has had some kind of influence in how they look at the Miami Hurricanes and what they do going forward, as far as that is concerned. Let's talk about some of the other guys that uh, were drafted, and uh, we can uh, talk about some of the you know the individuals that the team has picked up. You, we we went to Sione, we talked about Sheldrick Redwine, but further along they went more defense that was the big emphasis in 2019 because in the fifth round that's mac wilson he was the 155th choice overall all sec second team linebacker from alabama i think uh, a lot of people had him graded higher but this is a fifth round talent let's just see how he can uh, make his way in the national football league what was really telling i think was to use a fifth round pick and to pick up a kicker. And they picked up Austin Seibert from Oklahoma, and that further scores their dissatisfaction, I think, with what they had performing at the uh, kicking level this past season. So we'll see Austin Seibert come in and more than likely take over as the kicker for the Browns. In the sixth round, at 189 overall, Drew Forbes. They picked up uh, a lineman from Southeast Missouri State. And he, uh, we'll see what he can do in terms of that, how that is is uh, going along for him as well. So they had a very busy day. They also picked up a defensive um, uh, back in Lewis. And so that pretty much takes care of what they did in the draft. And now they'll bring in some of the players. They will have more mini camps and they will continue their offseason programs. There's been that emphasis or at least. Uh, talk in the media about OBJ not being in Cleveland, pure and simple, or uh, succinctly, here's my thoughts on that. These are voluntary, and I think if they wanted everybody to be in Cleveland, they would have to change the title to mandatory, first and foremost. If they're going to say it's voluntary, and a player chooses not to be there but still is engaged with the team, which it certainly seems like OBJ is, I don't see this as an issue. Now, I know people would have concerns saying, here's OBJ, his first year with a new team. Here's an opportunity to show that you're a leader and that you're totally invested with the team. I get that, but I will go back to the word mandatory versus the word voluntary. You know, there's a situation in another team. I think the league's looked at Tom uh, Coughlin, who's kind of abused the term voluntary, and Is it voluntary or is it mandatory? Is Freddie Kitchens really upset that OBJ is not there? I I think he's probably concerned to a point, but I don't think this is a big issue. Now, when we come to that point where they have the mandatory mini-camp coming up in a month or so, and OBJ is not there, then there's an issue. But I sincerely don't believe that's going to be the case. They'll have their mini-camp. It will be mandatory. Everybody will be there. They'll break for... Uh, you know their respite or their their uh, time away before training camps uh, gets going, and you'll still see OBJ and you'll see Baker and Jarvis and those guys working out in Los Angeles. In fact, I think because there's been questions about OBJ not being here, you'll probably see a lot more social media of OBJ, Jarvis and Baker uh, in California in the time leading up to camp. I don't see it as a big issue, so I think we should just kind of move on from there. Let's talk about some guys that were on the local side that we saw a lot on Friday Night Touchdown, and I think uh, have opportunities to make, uh, you know, their careers pretty exciting. There were several local kids that we saw a lot when we covered them in high school football, like Draymond Jones at St. Ignatius, Paris Campbell from uh, Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary, Dante Booker. You said Andy Andy Isabella from Mayfield High School. I remember Andy Isabella uh, running in track against Denzel Ward of Nordonia High School. You have Justin Lane from Benedictine, who was quite a big player on Friday Night Touchdown. Marquise Blair from down in the Worcester area. All of those guys had opportunities to get drafted and to start their journeys moving forward. And Paris Campbell's is a outstanding young man, a great story put out by the Ohio State football uh, program, a video uh, detailing he and his family Uh, and all the people that surround him with love down in the Akron area, and how he's now uh, going to be going forward playing as a member of the Indianapolis Coats. So we wish him all the best luck, all the young people. It was always a pleasure to uh, cover those teams and see those talents when they were in their sophomore and junior years and starting to make their way as... uh, very good football players, and then it was exciting to see them go on and play in the collegiate level and say, hey, these were the kids that we saw quite a bit and covered quite a bit when they were playing high school football in Northeast Ohio. What's kind of cool, though, when the draft comes and it goes, they make a big deal about Mr. Irrelevant, the last guy that is drafted, and when you go through and add up the numbers. The amount of people that are drafted into the National Football League is really not that big of a number. 32 teams, seven rounds, you do the math. It's not that many that are actually drafted into the National Football League. In fact, the frenzy Uh, starts and continues on Saturday as the weekend goes along and even on Sunday when guys start to get signed as undrafted free agents and those are the times where you kind of find some pretty cool stories and we've had our share of them here in Northeast Ohio. Josh Cribbs comes to mind as one of the greatest undrafted free agent signings if you will in pro football, and he had the opportunity because he played at Kent State to showcase his talents a little bit more in Berea along with talent from the area or that played collegially in the area. And as you would say, the rest is history. He came into Cleveland. He proved himself on the special teams level. He became an elite return guy in the league. And I thought, pound for pound, Josh Cribbs was one of the greatest cover guys on special teams that this league's seen in some time. He always was making the tackles. And he made himself a viable pro, a multiple-time pro bowler, and he was not drafted. So, again, I know there's that excitement on draft night of round one, and then a guy doesn't get picked, and then there's the excitement leading into rounds two and three, and maybe their name is not called on Friday night, okay, now we're at Saturday, and it's the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th rounds, and there's no name, their name's not called as far as getting drafted as well, then you sit back and you say, all right, there's an opportunity here for somebody to emerge as a great story. And there are Hall of Famers who were undrafted free agents. I know you all know about Kurt Warner bagging groceries in a supermarket, and he came up through the tough way he made it to the league and is a Hall of Famer. And then you've got guys like John Randall and Warren Moon, Tony Romo, all guys not drafted. How about Antonio Gates? We saw Antonio Gates playing collegiate basketball at Kent State University with the great teams that they had, and then he became a pro football player, and the rest, as they say, Is history. Did I mention James Harrison? If if I didn't, I I I would be remiss because what he was able to do, coming out of Coventry and then going to Kent State and wanting so much to play in Cleveland, play for the Browns, but obviously settling and playing in Pittsburgh and having a phenomenal career. And look what he did in that one uh, Super Bowl and just his presence as a as a just a mean and tough linebacker, the, the epitome of like the NFL football player, tough and hard-nosed. And he is a guy that was, cat, was passed over by so many others. Andrew Hawkins, now the big media star uh, with ESPN and with all of the, the, the podcasting stuff that he does with Joe Thomas. He is another example of a guy. Not only was he not drafted, I don't believe initially he had any opportunities. He even had to he went on some kind of a half-baked TV show that showcased guys from out of left field that had a potential to maybe get looked at by an NFL team and he was in this competition on this this uh, television reality show. And then he had ended up having to go to Canada. He did his thing in Canada, came back to Uh, the National Football League and got an opportunity, eventually made the Bengals. Then Andrew played three years in Cincinnati, came to Cleveland, played three years with the Browns, retired. And now he's become a big deal in the media world. And God bless him for that, because he's one of the I always point to guys like Andrew Hawkins as uh, stories that you say, here's someone who made it because nobody else wanted any part of him. They looked at his size and he you know wasn't the tall NFL embodiment of what a receiver should be. He had all the things that perhaps you you wanted more of, but he was able to make it. So again, it is not the end of the world if you Uh, Your name is not called. There still is an opportunity to make it. And so for the Browns, a productive draft. It was one of those things where it kind of came to them. You know, they didn't really push the issue. They made the one deal uh, to move up to make sure they got Greedy Williams. And I think they got a real good young player in Greedy Williams. So first and foremost, I think they had a very, very productive week in terms of the, the NFL draft. So that's the situation with the Browns. We're gonna take a little break here, and I think we're also gonna add something into this podcast, and it is, we're gonna grade some of the characters from the Game of Thrones. As promised, guys, and a bit of a twist here, watched season eight, episode three, the Battle of Winterfell, Game of Thrones, Sunday night, as millions others did, but still spoiler alert if you have not seen the episode yet and don't want to get any of these uh, nfl style grades i'm going to give on some of the characters so i'll give them out first round grades first round grades with five stars second round grades third and then we'll go down to fourth round grades starting off with liana mormont she gets a first round grade this little gal with the guts of steel takes on the biggest character in the show other than a dragon and things don't turn out well for her but bottom line is she has a first round grade in my book. Same thing for Theon, Theon Greyjoy guarding Brand to the bitter end, he gets a first round grade. Jorod, who continues to always fight for Dan, uh, Danny, uh, his the the love of his life, I think you would say. He gets a first round grade and Barrack as well. So those are the guys and ladies that get first round grades. Game of Thrones season eight, episode three, the Battle of Winterfell. First round grade with five stars, none other than aria i mean what she did at the end of that episode was absolutely spectacular and we even saw excuse me going back to i think season three a forecasting of what was to be if we look for it way back when i certainly didn't see it and i'm sure millions more did not as well let's give Brienne of tarth give her a first-round grade because I just like her and she is such a tough warrior and she is now a knight as well as we saw in the previous episode and then the real twist was Melisandra, what she foreshadowed in earlier episodes what she was able to do in this one she gets a first round with a five star as well second round grades go to the Hound Jon Snow who still can't figure out how to ride a dragon but nonetheless does the best he can. Danny, she gets a second-round grade. I like Samwell Tarly because he's the guy that's the the deep-thinking kind of an individual but also has the guts to go out there and fight uh, the White Walkers. So he gets a second-round grade. And then third-round grades, Sansa and Tyrion, I mean, they're just hanging out in the crypt. Come on now. And and I know that's what they're supposed to do because they're kind of royalty, if you will. But I give third-round grades to those guys. And then the fourth-round grade has to go to the Night King. I mean, the Night King, all he really had to do, he just had to run the football. But he chose to get cocky and go right up to Bran and and, and and waited too long to make his move. Bottom line is that. So he was the Atlanta Falcons with a 28-3 to lead, and yet he did not finish the game strongly and and as you could say he he paid for it. So again, sorry I get said before we went with some of these grades guys. We had the spoiler and if you continue to listen well, you did so at your own peril. Just having a little fun. Browns NFL draft, giving some grades out for the Browns hierarchy and then the folks with HBO who produced the Game of Thrones, then the Battle of Winterfell. They're episode number three, season number eight. Those were the grades as well. Well, that's it for this edition of tellich Talks. We mixed things up with a little NFL football and one of the biggest and most watched television episodes I would imagine uh, in history that HBO has. They certainly have a great thing going with the Game of Thrones. If you like our episodes and want to continue listening, uh, please uh, do us a favor and subscribe to us on on any of the various platforms, iTunes, Anchor.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those, we are here and we'll continue to mix up uh, our takes on the world of sports as we move further along the podcast trail. So thanks again for listening and please share this if you can and we hope to see you the next time we put out another edition of Telich Talks.